Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome. Lately, my family has gotten a little behind on our doctor visits, but this year, that's changing. We're making health a priority with Emory Healthcare. My husband got the knee replacement he's been putting off. My mom is getting a heart procedure that Emory pioneered, and I scheduled my annual mammogram. And with so many virtual visit options, we are getting it done in 21. Make your health a priority at emoryhealthcare.org/healthfirst. The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. Good morning. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It is great to be here. Long weekend after four days of rest and relaxation. I'll tell you, I feel pretty good. I, um, it's been a long time. Four straight days. Holy mackerel. I haven't had four straight days. In uh, since August of 2019, so it's been uh, it's been great. It was a great. It felt like a month, um, but I need I need to do a little better than that, and I'm working on that too. But anyway, um, and then we have people that whine and complain because I'm not on the air. So you know, it's amazing. Amazing. Anyway, can't you know? Most of my time off has been for. Uh, uh, hospital visits and doctor's appointments uh, for two, three days in a row. So anyway, and that's no fun. Well, it looks like uh, the indices after this holiday weekend, I think it's things got clobbered on clobbered on Friday. Um, it was, you know, it's an odd kind of day. It's a one-off for me. I don't totally discount it. We got a market that was open half a day. You've got traders uh, at skeleton crews at best. Uh, not a lot of volume, no conviction, lots of knee-jerk reactions by a few. All kind of meaningless as far as I'm concerned. But nonetheless, we saw some big sell-offs. We saw uh, an announcement Friday morning. I don't know how many of you, if you're not a partner, I hope you've been to, the, if you are a partner, I hope you've been to the website. I'm sorry for the long discourse under the comment section, but I wanted to give you an overview of what I think is happening and what is going on. So what I did was I, you know, it wasn't a good thing waking up or getting going about your day on Friday. 
I remember Friday, one o'clock, I'm thinking, oh my word, what is going on? You know, and the announcement on Friday morning about this, not knowing anything about it. So I was forced to do a little bit more work and research over the weekend than I wanted to, uh, as, as time allowed. And it is, it, and I, so I, so I had a whole string of notes that I had written what you're seeing on the website in the comment and the commentary uh, section are my notes and some of the research and what I've looked into. One of the very first things I saw this morning was this is a very serious variant. Let me tell you how serious it is. Let me tell you the same doctor that said this is a very serious variant. We've got to take it serious and listen to the symptoms. Listen to the symptoms. Well, you're a little tired for the previous few days. Tired than normal, low energy. You've got not a sore throat, but a scratchy throat. No, you know, a loss of taste or loss of smell. And you may have some aches and pains. Of course, if you had a little fever, that would go stand to reason. Didn't say anything about a fever, but, and you may have a slight headache. No cough, no congestion, just those symptoms. This sounds like a mild flu. Maybe, maybe. And they started out by saying, this is really serious. Are you kidding me? It's a mild flu. As a matter of fact, it may be the flu. Of course, there's going to be variants. Every single year, I don't know if you know this, I think most of you do by now, that every single year, if you get a flu shot, it's different than the flu shot you had last year. They look at Australia. America looks at Australia. Okay, here's the strain of the flu that's the most prevalent. That's what we'll do the vaccine on. And they do the vaccine. And remember, uh, three or four years ago, they got it wrong. They picked the wrong uh, strain and they had to redo it again. I don't know if you remember that, but you know, it is every year. It's a different variant. That's the way it works. If you get a flu shot, it's crazy, but this is what's serious. This is what the reaction was based on. Oh, and by the way, it looks as though the vaccines aren't going to work against this variant. Well, that's a beautiful thing. That means we can create a whole nother set of maybe vaccines and make billions of dollars more. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? What, because I get tired for a few days? I've had this variant for about five years because I get tired for the last few days all the time. But anyway, it, it is, it's crazy. It's, it's just insane. And, you know, they're saying, you know, we've got to take this serious and this is, anyway. You'll see my take. You can read my take on it. Here's This is what I think. I don't think we are in a pandemic anymore. We should probably start. Stop using the word based on definitions. I include the definition. Take a look at it. You can read it if you want. I was going to dictate it and, and talk about it, but it, it was easier for me to cut and paste my notes and and put it together uh, from, from what I had Seen. So you could take a look at that. It is it is on the website. I do have a couple buys, a couple sells. 
Uh, you'll get an alert on the couple cells as well. Just to remind you, one is no longer biblically responsible. So uh, that that was a cell, it was MA-22, but uh, no, it wasn't MA-22, what was it? Um, it was a financial, F-72, I'm sorry, F-72, uh, no longer biblically responsible. That was a foundational stock at, at one point. Now it's going to be off my list, a broad list. I have to leave it on my broad list for a period of time because I can't mark it as a sell unless it's on my broad list, that the two go hand in hand, so I can't. There's nothing to sell if it's not on my broad list. So that's why it's still on my broad list. It will be for a couple of weeks till I remove it off my sell list and it'll be off the broad list. So uh, you can you can check that out. Um, that is a sell. Um, the other one is another financial FR31. That is a sell. It's been a sell before, but I understand a lot of people still own it. I would sell it. And it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's not it is biblically responsible still, but I think that uh, this is a good time to sell it based on a couple of things that are going on in that particular community. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, we did add at least one e, uh, EV stock to the buy list uh, this morning, but there are four total that we added to the broad list. Uh, there were two others. I had six altogether. The other two. Um, I felt it best not to add, probably won't. So we'll see what else. I'm going to continue to watch that sector, see how that uh, materializes. So if you're a partner, let me tell you, there's not a better time to be a partner as we head into a new year, uh, especially a very volatile year. You need to do that. Uh, You need to be a partner. If you're not a partner, you're missing out. A lot of people were partners. Oh, I'm all set now. I got it together. Well, our uh, slowly, our numbers are changing on the site, so you're not going to be able to follow along any anymore. Uh, there's other information on there that is critically important to the future of uh, the the markets that you need to understand. If you weren't a partner and you were a partner and you were following, you're still kind of keeping your portfolio, but you're not following along anymore. That's fine. You can you can do that if you want. If you want to do that for a couple years. But really, it's probably a better thing anyway, because if you're worried about spending the uh, yearly uh, cost to be a partner, then uh, you probably need to be uh, extremely cautious and and maybe forego getting some important information. Uh, you probably shouldn't even be investing, frankly, if you can't can't uh, uh, pay the fee. But I, I get that, and that's fine. All right, 610-363-1110 if you want to cue your call. But we got uh, some other information that we want to get out here. All the indices are up significant this morning, uh, giving back, getting back uh, what was lost on Friday. Dow's up 375 points. That's one just over 1%. S&P up 1.1%. And NASDAQ's up 1.1.25%. Oil up 6.5%. Woo. All right, we'll be back right after this. Stay with us. Welcome back, Financial Issues. All right. Well, we're starting a new week. Um, Last couple days of November, getting into the last month of the quarter. It is going to be a very interesting December. Uh, It is very, very unlikely. Uh, December is generally has been for the last couple of decades. 
Uh, there have been a couple years off. 2018 was a year that it was off. But December generally is a positive month. We'll see how it shakes out. But that's how it's been, at least for the last 20 years or so. So uh, stock futures are mu- moving higher this morning. They continue to move higher. Uh, I think the real telling tale of the day is going to be around 1 or 2 o'clock. We'll see what kind of pullback we get. Oil is the big concern right now. Oil is at 72.67, so moving up uh, significantly. I think I think not gas is down, and it is. Not gas is down 10%. Talk about a drop. Not gas down 10%. Oil is up 6.6%, almost 7%. Uh, Brent crude oil up about 6%. So uh, oil at 72.72 right now. So uh, we're not going to get a break in gasoline prices uh, moving into Christmas. That is for sure. Hey, uh, in-store shopping down a mere 21%. Do you remember me saying early, obviously early last week, um, and I might've been the week before, but I know early last week, how laughable it was listening to the retail sales numbers that were coming out. They were calling for a record, a record season for in-store sales. Well, it was only down 21, 27%. I forget what the number was. I think it was 21% down. So that is uh, a little bit of a miss, I would say. Anyway, uh, very, 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 very interesting uh, to see that. I mean, I'm not, it's sad. It's sad, but it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the day today after Cyber Monday and the numbers come in. See if it'll be a real telling sign if online sales end up being down as well. Unlikely, I doubt that, um, only because everyday usage of online sale, even with groceries. Now we'll all enter into that. Something that's not usually on that are going to be picked up. So it's un- very unlikely that they are going to they are going to be down. Um, you know, Walmart and uh, Amazon obviously will likely uh, lead the way, but way. But we'll see um, what what happens. It's going to be interesting to say the least. Some are saying. Um, that global stocks are going to rally significantly. I don't know. I think that uh, it depends on, um, you know, what happens with lockdowns. They're so quick to lock down right now. I don't think we will ever, I don't think we're going to see a lockdown. I say that in my commentary section of the website. I don't think we're going to see a, a, a lockdown. I give you some reasons there, some reasons you probably ought to be thinking about as you're thinking about investing but uh, or or maybe selling or buying or whatever, but you ought to be uh, looking at some of those. I think 2022 is going to be a very flat year. I've been saying this for some time. There are others that are saying that as well. So we'll see. It was just announced that Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, is stepping down. Isn't that interesting? That's all we got. But um, he is stepping down from Twitter. Uh, very interesting. Uh, it looks like uh, you'll see tomorrow is going to be a very interesting day for the Biden family. Uh, apparently, lots of emails coming out on Hunter Biden. It is very, very obviously in a book that is being published 
tomorrow. And all of that laptop emails are coming out. Apparently, he had cut deals with oil companies in China, pulling his father into the deal. They agreed, China agreed to pay him $10 million a year. Yes, $10 million a year, not a one-time $10 million fee, $10 million a year. Uh, The emails indicate X amount of dollars for H. That's real creative. Let me see. Who would H? Oh, that would be Hunter. And um, then the big, and then the big guy, who would ever think about who would the big guy be? Yeah, that would be, yeah, the president now of the United States. I mean, it is going to be incredibly incriminating. Will anything come of it? Of course not. We have a secretary of state that held top secret information in the basement of our house on a server that got hacked by Russia. And you think this is going to be a problem for anybody? We don't do accountability in America. Well, if you're if you're just a nobody, of course, you can go to jail for stuff like that. But everybody else is above the law. Hunter Biden's above the law. His father's president. President Biden's above the law. Hillary Clinton was above the law. All the FBI agents are above the law. They got to enforce it, but they're above it. So they get to enforce it any way they want to enforce it because they're above it and they can't make any mistakes. It's a beautiful thing. So that's where we are right now. And that's going to be, it's going to be an issue, but you'll never know about it. You'll never know because it's not going to be like breaking news uh, on mainstream media anywhere. So, you know, we're not going to hear a lot about some of these emails, some of the things that are going to be coming out even more so tomorrow. I mean, these are these are all going to be in in the book, and I can't think of the name of the book. I didn't pay that much attention to it. But anyway, going to be interesting, interesting time. Look, and inflation is only going to get worse, it looks like, by all accounts. As we look at what is happening, inflation is going to get uh, a lot worse. We've got some economic data coming out this week. Pending home sales are expected to go up. I really don't care much about pending. Why? Because they're pending. So they're meaningless until they go to settlement. Anyway, consumer confidence index coming out tomorrow. This is a good consumer confidence index. That's coming out tomorrow at 10 o'clock on uh, Tuesday. This is a November number. So it's going to be very interesting to see what that looks like. I will be surprised if it's not going to hold. It's been holding at about 113. Uh, it is going to be down to one. I think it's going to be down to one one hundred eight, one hundred nine. Uh, the street thinks it's going to be down to one ten. I would not be surprised to see it down uh, significantly more than one hundred one hundred six, seven, eight, even. I uh, wouldn't be surprised at all. ADP uh, unemployment numbers come out. They're sitting at four hundred eighty thousand compared to five seventy one. Uh, but they're saying uh, November number looks like it's going to be 480, 480,000 private sector jobs. ISM manufacturing number coming out, very important number, not the most important number. The the most important number is Friday service sector index. That's far more important than manufacturing. Service sector, the, that's the largest part of our economy, by the way, is expected to be down, uh, dropping a bit. So we'll see where it goes, but... Uh, manufacturing also comes out on uh, Wednesday and that'll be, that's expected to actually go up 
Uh, that's a possibility. We'll see. Construction spending is supposed to take a 10% swing. Don't know if that's going to happen or not. This is an October number. It's too backward looking for me. I don't care that much about it. But it's expected to be up a half of 1%. It was down a half a percent in September. So that's a 1% swing. Pretty significant swing. We haven't had too many of those last uh, 18 months or so. Um, of course, the big number is Friday, non-farm payroll numbers. That's expected to be at 581. Last month, September, uh, October was expected to be uh, about 800,000. We got 531. This is expected to be 581. We'll see if that happens. Unemployment rates expected to drop to 4.5%. Why? Because people are dropping out of labor participation. This is the Obama tactics of what's going on. I would also like to point out to you, as I already mentioned, the ISM uh, service sector number coming in on Friday. I also want to point out to you that somebody, I don't know who it could possibly be, somebody's been playing around with the debt clock. You know the debt clock. Somebody has been playing around with it. Frankly, on Thursday, Shanna told me that she noticed it. I checked it out over the weekend, and sure enough, um, it is <laughs> it is definitely... Um, just one more thing that we can't count on and plan on. Uh, it's interesting because I have snapshots of the debt clock that I was using for a presentation that I made to a group of uh, financial advisors for a broker dealer firm and did never did use, I don't think I did ever did use the, uh, PowerPoint slides that I had that had pictures of the deck clock the day before that I was speaking. So I went back and looked at that. That was maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. So I went back and looked at that deck clock and obviously things have uh, been, been messed around with. I don't know if you remember this, but during the Obama administration, they actually stopped it. It just didn't run. That's called the Obama way of reducing the debt. We all know if you turn the clock off, the time stands still. So does debt. It's the same way, right? Everything just, there is no debt. You just turn the clock off. Stop measuring it. If you stop measuring it, you don't have to worry about it. It's a beautiful thing. So if you stop looking at the balance on your credit card statement, you really don't have that debt. Why? Because you didn't look at it. That's how it works. That's what President Obama believed. And so I suspect Biden believes, well, we'll just change the numbers. Let's just lower. Let's just increase our income and lower our debt. It works out great. And it's going to be gone just like that. Boom. Anyway. And of course, nobody notices it. Nobody reports it. Nobody really cares about it. Oh, yeah, that's the way it goes. I care about it. So now we don't, I mean, everywhere we look, we, we pretty much have a pretty good handle on the fact that everywhere we go and the numbers we looked at are all skewed. They're distorted. They're not reality. They're filled, filled with deception, lies. Here's the problem with all of that. That's not the problem. Well, it's a problem that they're lying to us. Well, yeah, sure it is. But we're being deceived. That's still not the problem. The problem is that the government that skewing all the numbers is going to start believing them in just a short period of time. 
They only have to do it for a few months and they'll start believing that's what it is. That's not the bad part either. The bad part is they'll start making decisions based on the numbers that they believe. And the numbers they believe aren't accurate. So the decisions that they make, the effect from those decisions, the negative effect, will be exacerbated because the numbers aren't real. That's the problem. We'll be back. Stay with us. No, really interesting. I got an interesting email from a very angry woman who was calling me a hypocrite uh, because I have been pushing Moderna stock. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earns you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. You hear that? That's the Litman Court Digital Stethoscope, removing background noise so you can focus on the sounds that matter. Nine out of ten healthcare professionals feel more confident about the sounds they hear with the Litman Core Stethoscope. Get the stethoscope that works as hard as you this holiday season and save $50 on the Litman Core at Echo. Shop now at EchoHealth.com. That's EKOHealth.com and use code AUDIO for $50 off. And she said Moderna's responsible for killing thousands of people. Let, let me just explain something to you. And I asked her to explain exactly how I was pushing it. And she didn't tell me. She just said, well, it's on your broad list. Okay. It's on my broad list because whether you like it or not, it's biblically responsible. It's on my broad list because people have made hundreds of thousands of dollars off that, that being on my buy list two years ago. Um, it is Moderna's vaccine is not killing anybody, number one, any more than Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, or the others. The government is killing people. The government approved the vaccines. The governments are allowing it to be a test to thousands and millions of people without ever vetting or testing the vaccine properly. The government is doing the killing, isn't the vaccine companies. They're just being as greedy as they've always been and making billions of dollars and sharing the billions of dollars with the same governments that are to blame. So let's be clear about that. They are on my broad list and will stay on my broad list. We don't listen. I Johnson and Johnson. I wonder if the woman that wrote me ever, uh, know, if she knows anybody still using Johnson and Johnson's baby powder. It has killed hundreds of women. Not the government, but the baby powder. Cars cause death. 
I mean, it was just so, it was just ridiculous. But, you know, it's people that don't understand. Obviously, there are people not listening. They don't listen. To, for, to, for them to say, I'm pushing, as, uh, you know, if I'm wrong, somebody tell me. But pushing it, I haven't even talked about the company. As a matter of fact, when it comes to so-called vaccines, I usually refer to Pfizer or AstraZeneca or, or Johnson & Johnson. Pushing it. Anyway, you know, it's interesting. People just have such selective hearing. She was obviously an angry person that maybe somebody she knows uh, was seriously ill, uh, injured or died from the vaccine. Well, you can't, how about who administered it? I mean, the doctors, the hospitals, everybody's drinking the same Kool-Aid, buying in to the deal. But it's not, unfortunately, it's not for, for this person. It's unfortunately, it's not the company itself. And you can't, one thing you can't do, it's why I said she's obviously an angry person over Moderna or just me, um, to say that, um, is it's, it's ridiculous to say that and not throw in all the other vaccines at the very same time. Anyway, it is still on my broad list, by the way, it will probably remain on my broad list until it's no longer biblically responsible. All right, 610 363 if you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do it. <clears throat> Let me go to uh, Jeff. Jeff's calling us from Florida. Hey, Jeff. Hey, good morning, Dan. I good just morning. had a question. I am a partner. I'm 58. I'm primarily an income investor um, because I'm blind. And I just had a question regarding MA40. Uh-huh. I bought some a, a while back, uh, around $39.25. I would probably like to maybe add to that position in the future. I just noticed it was almost almost a foundational stock and it seems like it's been kind of downgraded. It's not that rating anymore. So I just was wondering, you know, why was the reasons for the so sort of a downgrade and is it okay to add to that position? Um, so I, sometimes when I see these downgrades by other, um, companies, 99% of the 95% of the time, they're down, downgraded because they don't consider them a short, you know, a short sell anymore. You know, they're, they, you know, I, I don't look at anything on the short term. They only look at everything from a, from a very, very short term perspective. I don't, um, it's still a, it, it will still remain as far as I'm concerned, a great company. It is a great company. Um, could it go down from here? I suspect it, it will uh, in the very short term. I don't think it will in the long term. You know, a year ago, no, not a year ago, two years ago, it was, you know, close to $40. So when, you know, the, these, these stocks are always going to, you know, ebb and flow. It's what they do. They're going to go up. They're going to go down and so on and so forth. Um, I like the stock any time it is below 50. Uh, I really liked it when it went below 40, but any time below 50, it's, you know, is very, very good. Um, I think that easily 
in the next 12 months, we will likely see it up over 50 in the 53, $54, $55 range in all likelihood. They did spin off and sell off some of their uh, uh, parts of their company. I think it was a good thing. It made them stronger financially. It gave them a little bit more market uh, cap. I think all of it is was very good. It's very much a um, large cap value kind of stock right here. So if it is below your cost basis right now, I would certainly uh, buy it. I don't know where it's trading today, but it was around 47. And 47 is some change. So yeah, I would buy it. Do I think it's could go lower? Yes, it could. Um, I would probably wait, wait it out. I think that the whole idea of this variant on Friday could be very bullish for markets in general. I think there could be some great buying opportunities coming. Uh, but I probably would wait. I would hold off until January and um, see, see where, where it goes. If it starts ticking up and it gets up to 48, uh, 50, somewhere in that neighborhood, then I would go ahead and buy it, uh, catch it on the upswing. But uh, I think it's probably going to hang around where it is right now for a little bit. But I don't. I wouldn't okay. mind buying it here. I wouldn't try to time it too closely. Okay, I was. I just like I said, I am blind. Wasn't this a blue yellow almost foundational stock? It, that's that was the change, the downgrade I was talking about on, on our site. On the no, no, it was I, never. It it was it was um, not foundational. I thought I didn't know you meant on the site. I'm sorry. I thought you were speaking about in general. Um, no, no. I um, it was never. How was it? Wait a minute. Yeah, it was blue yellow. Was it was it downgraded? If it was well, downgraded, it's just, it's, it's, it's just you know a regular growth in income. There's no blue or yellow there anymore. Oh. That, that was I was talking about your no. on our site. No, no, I did not down. I did not downgrade it. I didn't. I'm not saying it's not downgrade. I haven't looked at it. I did. Well, actually, I looked at it yesterday, but I haven't. I haven't really uh, taken notice. I never look at the colors because I can't see the color. Um, it's it's off on wording off to the side of my page to change it. So we had a major update on um, my whole side of the website where I do things. And maybe somehow it was lost. I suspect that's what happened. I'll check it out. Oh, so, okay. So it still probably is a blue stock or blue yellow. Yes. It's just something happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a mistake was made. That's all that really. Yeah. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you told me about it. But yeah. It's, okay. It's, uh, yep. All right. Well, thanks but, a lot, Dan. I appreciate that. Okay. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm glad you called, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Yep. Let me go to uh, Daryl in Louisiana. Hey, Daryl. Good morning, Dan. Thanks again for all you do for our Lord. Sure. Hey, uh, I, I've got uh, uh, four of the six uh, Timothy fund uh, sectors on my portfolio that are, are are down a good bit. And I was wondering, I know the other week in the, you said to hold off in the gentleman, I think just before you was saying to hold off to January. You say that even for those, uh, for, for the Timothy for, fund uh, sectors? So are they the ETFs that you're looking at or the mutual funds? No, the different mutual funds. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I think if – go ahead. 
I'm, I'm in the 55 to 65 category, so you, where you've okay. got the okay. different funds there. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, some of those are ETFs. Unless you're, are you in the Timothy portfolio or the regular portfolio? No, you're in Timothy. Okay, yeah. So they're ETFs. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be worried at all about those. I'd buy into them if you can buy some more while you're down. Then I would definitely do it. Okay. Uh, and um, did I seen where you said to sell the FR thirty one? I think that was it this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if down you, uh, something's facing to happen to it, or you're thinking something's facing to happen with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, so I, I'm selling it now because it's up 17% on the year and maybe uh, for some folks, that's not enough to get back how far down it had been. Um, and that might be your case. It sounds like, but yeah, I would, um, it's, it's, it's dropping now. It's going back down again starting to drop, uh, still very much in positive territory, but it's dropping. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you're purely an income investor and you still you still want that dividend, I think there's better dividend in other places. And it might be a better thing to do. I'm a little concerned about the sector there. That's it. All right. Thanks, Daryl. I appreciate it. Yep. God bless. All right, folks, we'll be back right after this. 610-363-1110. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Six ten three six three eleven ten. If you want to cue your call, you're welcome to do it. Six ten three six three eleven ten. Six ten three six three eleven ten. If you want to cue your call, you are welcome to do it. Let me go back to phones. Let me go to uh, Laura. Laura's calling us from Arkansas. Hi, Laura. Hi. Uh, I appreciate you informing people. Uh, I'm eighty three. My husband's eighty six. We have twenty five or twenty six thousand in uh, an IRA in New York Life, and we okay. have a nine thousand in an IRA in a bank. Should we cash these in and take a penalty if we have to? We've well, had there it wouldn't a be long any time. Yeah, no, there wouldn't be any penalty if you've had it for a long time. There may be, um, you know, some taxes that you would have to pay. Um, but yeah, there, there wouldn't be any penalty. And, um, yeah, I think, I think, is it money that you use Laura from that time to time? Uh, we haven't dipped into it, but we are living on uh, social security and, uh, we come up $3,000 short every year, but we've managed to sell things and, and pay those and we buy our propane in advance and so that's another thousand dollars in you know and then taxes so yeah we may have to dip into it yeah i would yeah i would i would move it out uh, keep it in a savings at a bank uh not Uh necessarily a cd so that you have you know accessibility to it 
And of course, it, I don't have to tell you this. It sounds like you're already doing a great job of being wise and just using what you need. And I'm sure you'll still still do that. But I think it would probably be, um, you know, beneficial for you to uh, just just have it where you can uh, have have good access to it. So what now? It, that includes the New York Life. We don't. It's not. Is the New York Life is the New York Life an IRA? Do you take money from it? Yes. Min, yeah. We don't, yeah, okay. we did a the required. Sure. Um, um. Yeah. How much is in that? About nine thousand. Twenty six thousand. Oh, twenty six thousand. Yeah. And how much is in the CD? Um, Our IRAs, one's with the bank and one's with New York Life. Oh, okay. So the one one is at a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and and how much is in the uh, the IRA at the bank? Nine thousand. Nine thousand. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what you might want to do is combine them. Take <laughs> that way, okay. you don't have to pay, pay the tax all at once. Combine um, the 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 New York Life and move it over into the bank. That way, you won't have to pay any tax on it. You just have to pay what you use. Um, don't let the bank talk you into doing anything else. Just leave it in just a savings account, a money market account, or wherever it is. But I think that would be the best thing for you to do, Laura. And then just use that. The bank should also give you a separate checkbook if you want it. Uh, to be able to write a check on uh, IRA, they should be able to uh, give that to you, but you can at least ask that question. If not, that's fine. They can just move it over into your checking account. But um, that that doesn't help you if you do any giving from it. But I would, it's okay. I would, I would move it over into the bank. So you now you only have one IRA. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, are they both both IRAs in the same name? Yes, it's my okay. husband and I's name. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and, um, so the other question is, we foolishly bought some gold coins. <clears throat> they were mostly Olympic. We probably had a, oh, probably $5,000. Um it, can we make anything by trying to sell those or should we just hang on to them? Well, you're only going to make a little, you're only going to make what they're valued at, you know, so there it's going to be based on the spot gold price. So however many, you know, whatever ounces they are. So if you say it's worth, they're valued at about $5,000, you're only going to get $5,000. Um, but you know, I, I would, I would probably leave them alone right now and just make sure that, um, whoever your heirs are, they, they might know where they are. Do you have them at a, in, at home? In a safe box. Yeah. In a safe. Yeah. So you might just want to let people know that's where they are, you know, your heirs. Yeah know where they yeah. are, that would make sense. Yeah, but I would just we, leave them. 
Go ahead. No, no, I would, I would leave them alone uh, until such time as you might need to cash them out. But okay, you know, yeah. Leave them. <clears throat> and we have some um, silver dollars. Uh, some of them aren't in good shape. Would be probably by weight. Is it a good time to sell those? Well, yeah, they're treated a little bit differently if they're if they're actual old silver coins, but, um, I would hold on to them as well. Thing. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Even though we're old, we listen to you every day. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate it. Laura, thank uh-huh. you so much. That's uh-huh. a blessing to us. Thank okay. you. Thank All right. You. God. All right. God bless. Thank you. Um, folks, how many of you did the uh, India Partners over the holiday? I know we did, and I had fun sitting with each each one of our grandchildren, and uh, we did that. And I hope you'll uh, do that as we head towards the Christmas holidays. I hope you'll think about financial issues as we uh, head into the holidays as well and think about uh, our needs and what, what we are doing. Um, we have so much going on. Tomorrow, not tomorrow, I think Wednesday, I'm going to put on the website just a little bit of what we are doing, but I uh, so you can see where where uh, some of the things are that we're doing. I hope it will excite you and uh, give you some added motivation to give to the ministry. Um, I understand that uh, based on November, this is probably December is not going to be uh, our usual great uh, December. Uh, that's, you know, it is what it is for whatever reason. Uh, I I suspect that people are concerned and maybe they're uh, holding on a little bit more clinging to or just uh, being overly cautious or cautiously uh, concerned. So um, I I understand that, but hopefully we can continue to uh, thrive and move on and you can find it in your heart. The Lord would nudge you to give to the ministry in some way, shape or form. And, uh, we are um, continuing to try to keep the truth alive and well in so many different areas, in our news, in um, in all the things that we are doing and producing. So we hope that uh, you'll support the ministry, not the financial issues ministry and our, our uh, FISM.TV network in general. That kind of covers everything. Um, Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, it's the, that is our, the name the, the, that is over everything that we are doing. And uh, sure would appreciate it if you continue to bless us in any way you can uh, with that. So thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to have, a, I'm going to have a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different this year with Christmas being on a, on a Saturday. Uh, so Friday will be a holiday before Christmas. And then um, when, uh, the, um, the day before that, on Thursday, the 23rd, I'm all day getting um, in tests at the Mayo Clinic. And uh, so I won't be on air that day. The day before that, on Wednesday, I leave right after the program. So I'll do the program and then I leave for the Mayo Clinic. And then we'll stay overnight and up there and, and uh, 
spend the other day testing. So uh, you can you can pray for all that, what we're hoping for, the same thing we were hoping for last time. That is that uh, things have slowed down uh, or, or are not uh, progressing. That is the hope. Um, we'll, we'll see. I'm not super encouraged that that is the case, but uh, I am, uh, we're, we try to, the doctors have tried an experimental uh, uh, situation for, for us to try to slow, that, slow the uh, progression down. Hopefully that has helped. So we'll see. I feel great, uh, you know, in, in for the most part, uh, but hopefully that, that is what we're going to try to find out. So we'll see. That, that would be a great Christmas present, although I probably won't know the results. Uh, until after Christmas, but anyway, uh, we've got lots going on, so a shorter time period for me to be asking all of you to come alongside the ministry, support us in any way you can, and I think really, and I, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way or a mean way, but I think it's just foolishness at this point not to be a partner with the ministry. I mean, I, I only say that because there's so much that's going to be happening next year uh, between between now and this time next year it is going to be a whirlwind and uh, it's not a time you don't want to be a partner that is for sure Um, so I hope you'll uh, consider partnering to support the ministry or support the ministry with an outright gift the year end that would be a blessing don't forget your stock gifts Uh, you can always do that we'll be right back compromise our principles and standards we will never give away our freedom we will never abandon our belief in God. If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emery's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org slash sports. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Picasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. We in America should be grateful to God for the blessings he's given us. Don't let anyone tell you that America's best days are behind her. We have got to fight for this nation because I believe with all my heart this nation is in fact one nation under God. Welcome back Financial Issues. I'm Dan Seward. It's great to be here. Welcome to the second hour. Sure appreciate all of you. I hope everybody had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving Chance to relax, you can get caught up in too much traffic. I thought the traffic, the driving, or at least what little driving, I didn't do a lot, but um, it seemed pretty light. I was a little surprised, to be honest with you. I don't know uh, where it was for all of you, but I hope you did have a great relaxing four days. If you had four days, hopefully you did. And um, we're back into the swing of things, and we'll uh, 
that's it. No more breaks until after until Christmas. So great, uh, a great time of year. I love Thanksgiving. It was a wonderful. It's always a wonderful time uh, to be with family and to give thanks to God for so many things that He's given us. We are so blessed. Even in the state that we are in in America right now, uh, we're still so blessed. And you know, Yvonne and I had an opportunity to talk to a a man that was from uh, Colombia. And you know, when you when you listen to him and you talk to him and you hear all the things that he says about America, you just I mean, your your heart kind of aches that everybody doesn't get that and understand it. You know what what. Uh, this man uh, under understood, you know, um, we really need to, you know, people need to spend some time, I guess, uh, in other, other countries, or at least have some time to talk to people that come from there. And it is, um, it's really sad, but anyway, all right, we've got our agri report coming up and we have news. We're going to get an update on our news. Hopefully you will tune in to news tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern time at FISM.TV. Check out the news uh, page, our news page, uh, for all the updated news, some great, great articles. So you need to check that out at FISM.TV. Click on the news tab and you'll see that. I don't know who we have, but we got news coming up coming up um, right now with Ian Patrick's going to give us an update of what some of the stories are going to be tonight. Hey, Ian. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. All right. Uh, just to touch on uh, traffic, by the way, you said you were driving. Uh, I drove yeah. back from uh, uh, western New York, and uh, traffic was also fairly light. I think I hit maybe one stop or two, but other than that, it was surprisingly lighter than what I expected it to be. So, yeah, yeah d- different than usual years. Uh, yeah. And with that being said, let's get into some headlines, like you said, that uh, people should be expecting tonight. First and foremost, President Biden, I'm sure many of you have seen this already, on Friday announced that his decision to uh, bar travelers from eight southern African countries from entering the U.S. will be implemented following the identification of a new coronavirus variant dubbed Omicron by the WHO. Now, the ban goes into effect today and does not include U.S. citizens and lawful U.S. permanent residents. Now, speaking of Omicron, this new variant, uh, one of the doctors who first discovered the variant in South Africa is where it originated, was actually recorded saying that there shouldn't be too much concern yet over it as patients that she have seen with this variant have had very mild symptoms and they've been able to treat many of the patients actually at home. So there's been a lot of sort of a knee-jerk reactions to the announcement of a new variant. Uh, obviously, it's uh, put a lot of people on edge. A lot of people are a little uh, uncertain, a little scared. Uh, but this doctor is trying to uh, at least give some some uh, reasonable uh, uh, reaction to it to say, like, you know, we shouldn't overblow this yet because we don't really know what it is. So uh, we should be expecting more data on that within the next two weeks. Uh, and some other news we got here, the December 15th debt ceiling deadline looms with no progress having been made uh, since, the sen- since the Senate Republicans, excuse me, offered a short-term deal to pass an emergency suspension in October, which temporarily raised the borrowing limit to $28.9 trillion. I remember we reported on that a lot back in October. That was a really big deal. And at that time, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell wrote a letter to President Biden telling him that Republicans will not be helping Democrats again in December. And it appears that is correct. He's, as far as I can tell, as far as we all have can tell, is holding to that promise. Senate Republicans have not budged on suspending the debt ceiling or raising it again. So uh, we're following that very closely to see where that goes. 
On some other uh, Black Friday news, actually, some Black Friday-related news, a lot of shopping centers and stores were on high alert this Thanksgiving weekend as a wave of sudden overwhelming robberies hit multiple stores and malls nationwide on Black Friday, but in Los Angeles especially, and actually California especially, they saw just a bout of uh, what, what is known as uh, flash... Uh, oh, I did, not say, I did not say it yet. They're known as uh, flash mob robberies. And uh, essentially, it's just a uh, group of about 10 or 20 people that bum rush a store and uh, they overwhelm the employees and the, any security there and they take everything that they can get and uh, run away and uh, escape vehicles. So it's very fast, it's very sudden, and uh, it overwhelms people so that they can steal as much as they can. Now, as I said, in Los Angeles especially, police are investigating the Beverly Center in Beverly Hills and the Westfield Topanga Mall in Canoga Park, both of which had instances uh, actually, the Topanga Mall of, uh, took place at a Nordstrom, and a security guard there was actually pepper sprayed by, by one of the assailants as well. Uh, we think that a security guard is doing well, but um, it was a big deal at the time. Uh, and, and on that same topic, another flash robbery occurred in Lakewood, again in Los Angeles, where sus- suspects between the ages of 15 and 20 raided a Home Depot and stole multiple tools on Black Friday night. And police have since arrested four suspects that they believe are linked to the robbery. Uh, in some real quick international news, in light of nuclear negotiations resuming with Iran, Israel expressed worries that diplomacy will fail to prevent the Islamic nation from continuing work on nuclear bomb-related projects. Israel is also concerned that sanctions will be lifted, resulting in an influx of money in the country. That's a big concern, as obviously Israel and Iran have been butting heads over uh, specifically their nuclear project uh, for quite some time now. Uh, we have some other news for people to look forward to as well. Uh, Dan, just as you were saying, tonight at 7 p.m., uh, fisom.tv slash watch. I'd suggest going on and uh, hearing more about what I, what I talked about today, but as well as some other news uh, that you might have missed over the weekend or uh, that you might be looking forward to today. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, Ian. Sure do appreciate it. Ian Patrick, FISM News. And uh, I hope you'll check that out, as Ian said, fism.tv. And uh, you can check it out tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, CTN, Southwest Florida, uh, on at 9 o'clock. You can uh, see the news there as well. And one of those great stations there at CTN, Southwest Florida. And uh, Biz Television, uh, they're on at uh, 7.30 Eastern Time. All right, folks, this here comes Craig, Craig Haggard. Haggard. We'll with be your back. financial issues egg update for November 29th. Well, the corn market was down double digits at one point on Friday as it was hammered by fears of the new COVID variant discovered in South Africa. But it did come roaring back in the last hour of trading to finish nicely higher. We're going to want to keep a close eye on how the government reacts to this new strain. If they shut the economy down again, it will drive crude oil lower and take corn with it as demand for ethanol dries up. At the close, the December futures were seven cents higher, selling at five dollars eighty-six and three cents per bushel. The fears from the newly discovered COVID variant spilled into the soybean market and brought heavy selling with it. For the day, soybean oil dropped by three percent, with soybeans sharply lower as well. At the close, we had January soybean futures thirteen and three cents lower. They finished at twelve dollars fifty-two and three cents. The wheat markets had a mixed day. All three classes started sharply lower, but Kansas City and Minneapolis markets ended up finishing more than 20 cents above their lows. Chicago wheat also finished well off of its lows for the day. Now, in spite of coming off the lows, Kansas City and Chicago were both lower for the day, while at the close, Minneapolis December futures were up two and three quarter cents, selling at ten dollars thirty-nine and a half cents. 
Kansas City ended the day eight and a quarter cent lower, closing at eight sixty-five. And Chicago futures down eleven and a quarter cents as they close at eight twenty-five and a half. Cotton futures broke to the downside from their recent trading range. At the close, we had March futures four hundred points lower, settling at one eleven seventy-eight. Livestock futures were mixed. At the close, we had February live cattle thirty-two and a half cents higher. Closing at $141.20 per hundredweight. January feeder cattle were up 22.5 cents as they settled at 167.15 per hundred. February lean hog futures, on the other hand, had a pretty rough session. They were down $3.22.5 for the day as they closed at $81.25 per hundred. Meat cutout values were mixed for the session. Choice box beef ended the day. 90 cents higher, closing at 280.01. Select boxes were $1.19 lower as they settled at 262.28. And pork carcass cutout values were $1.00 lower as they settled at $83.98 per hundredweight. This has been Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Egg Update. We'll be right back with more financial issues after this. Welcome back, Financial Issues. And we're going to get to phones. Lots going on. We'll see what happens, of course, uh, today in the markets. It's going to be very interesting to watch. So Friday, we got a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction um, on the downside. Now we're having a very quick recovery, like what was everybody thinking kind of um, recovery. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if it can last uh, I think that the whole variant thing that really drove the markets on Friday, I think it's going to be a little bit of a bullish thing. It's going to be kind of good for a number of stocks. Uh, I think it's going to be okay. December traditionally ends up in positive territory for the last 20 years or so, uh, December generally is positive. I think the last negative one was 2018. So, you know, chances are we'll have a good, we'll finish, we'll finish good. If we finish, have a decent December, it's going to be a very good year overall for the markets, no doubt about it, or at least a year I would consider very good for the markets. One of those years you look back and you say, wow, I'm glad I was in. It's one of those reasons why you're a partner with the ministry. So you're in and you stay in. You don't get out and you don't move. You know, and you just are very careful about what you sell and profits you take and so on and so forth. So um, one of those years, uh, in all likelihood, that's what it's going to be. I think next year is going to be relatively flat, although um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'll, I'll be able to make a better call, I think, at the end of, or the, at least in two or three weeks, be able to make maybe a little bit of a better call as we start to see some economic numbers uh, coming in, moving, moving ahead. I made a very interesting um, piece of uh, analytical information that I'm sure some people are going to find pretty, pretty interested anyway on the website this morning on our commentary section to our partners. And uh, that'll give you a better feel for what we're looking at for 2022. But you get an idea of kind of where I'm coming from. And that's why I put all that up there so you can see some of the things that, that I'm looking at. I did make a comment about the new variant and uh, the good and the bad of that. Uh, my, my comment was basically, I think it's going to be okay for us. 
I think we're out of pandemic. Uh, I think we're just out of a, a pandemic. And I used some analogies and uh, gave some some interpretation of uh, uh, some definition, I guess, to some of the words that are used uh, too often right now that just aren't appropriate, at least for the United States. I don't think we're going to be in lockdown. Some are being in lockdown. I don't think we'll ever see another lockdown. I think it's over. I think people need to move about their business. And, and I think as long as people continue to move about their business, I know now uh, we don't see the mask here like, like you might see in other places uh, here in Florida. But, uh, you know, you see them and you just think, you know, there's more people just destroying. I mean, I think all, one of our biggest problems is people are destroying their immune system. You know, they, they're, you know we, we just believe in washing our hands and we don't even use any bacterial soap. We just use soap, regular old soap. And, you know, we're trying to protect our immune system as much as we possibly can. And we're not trying to hide it from everyday common germs, which is what everybody's doing. People are going to take their mask off and going to get sick, sooner, you know, a week later. And um, so I think if everybody would go about their business, I mean, you looked at what some of the, the, um, the side effects of the new variant were. I mean, it's basically a cold. It's not even a cold. It's a mild flu at best. And who cares? Nobody's dying from it. You know, the death rate so far in 2021 is lower than it was in 20. I mean, is, is, um, you know, we're looking at 2020, I'm sorry, 2020 was higher than, uh, than it is in 2021. And the death rate continues to drop. And we'll, we'll see. Um, There are parts of the air, the parts of the world where that is not true parts of the world where it's a much higher now, but again, I think it's going to continue to get higher. If we continue to stay, if we continue to to destroy our, our immune system, but for those who have strong immune systems, the vast majority of people that are getting COVID are vaccinated people. That's what one group says. Other group says it's the opposite. Uh, But from what we know from the surveys coming out of doctors and, uh, and, and hospitals, it's vaccinated people. They're also talking this morning in the Wall Street Journal about a severe shortage of hospital workers. Well, do you think you made them all quit? And if you're a hospital worker, if you're a uh, healthcare worker or a nurse or any kind of professional in a hospital setting, you're going to be able to name your price in about two months. You're going to make up any losses that you've had in a heartbeat because they can't, you know, they, these, these hospitals are, are threatening to close. Well, it's self-inflicted pain. What did they think was going to happen? What did they think was going to happen? So now if they get back on their feet and they start getting more and more patients, more elective surgeries and things like that, they're not going to have anybody to do anything. It's insane. All right, 610-363-1110. If you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do it. Let me go to John. John's calling us from Florida. Hey, John. Hey, Dan. How you doing today? Good. Uh, Dan, I got a couple of questions uh, that are general questions. Uh, I've been doing more research since following you, and you should have a stock there uh, that the nice lady gave you. And yes. I, I, I'm just looking at that stock as, as a general question. And that is, uh, back in 2007, it seems like that stock was selling for 900 a share, and now it's down to 19, and it was even lower than that. What in the world causes something like that, and how does the company stay in business? 
Well, you know, there's so many reasons why stuff like that happens. One is number one, there could have been a uh, a split. Number one, uh, that would do it. That's going to drop the stock. Um, this is a company that is a. It's not a company I track, by the way. It is biblically responsible, but um, y- y- it's a small cap stock. It tends to be very, very volatile. The stock is up 137%, 137% this year. Now, unless you gave me the wrong, uh, unless you gave me the wrong uh, symbol, um, the stock that I'm looking at, you know, that I know is up 137% this year. So right, but I, I, but back in 2007, I think is I don't know if they had an initial public offering. It was up around 900. Unless I'm reading something wrong. Yeah, I I can't. Yeah, I mean it was. Uh, I I don't have any. I don't see where that stock was up at at uh, nine hundred dollars um, unless. You know, it was, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it here. So, okay. Well, I, well, I don't, well, I don't know what to tell you. That. I see the lowest point of it. It was down. I mean, it was at, it was down below $5. It was at $4 at one point in time. Um, yes. but yeah, uh, I, I never, I don't see anything 900 even close to that. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe. What... Oh, my second question is this, and, and, and maybe I'm just trying to look too deep. Uh, when you track stocks and they have splits, it seems like the chart shows the stock price retroactively as the, the price at the split. So let's 10 for yeah. one, so it's down to $10 a share. When you go back and look on the charts, it looks like it was ten dollars a share the entire time. Am yeah, I because, trying to look to find out no, no, when it's split? No, that, does that matter? No, it doesn't matter. A split has nothing to do with value. So the ten dollars a share when it splits and it goes from twenty to ten, then all the charts change as if it were ten dollars, because that's right. the, the because the value during a split doesn't change. You just get more shares, but it doesn't change. The value of your money is the same. If you have $10,000, um, you know, when a stock splits, you have $10,000 worth of stock. After the split, you still have $10,000 worth of stock. You don't right, have any more. Doesn't it help in, in analyzing the stock to know that, okay, I'm tracking this stock, let's say for 10 years, and every year it splits two for one. But I yeah. can't know that. Because the the charts never show that, so how do I how do I find that information, or is that information just absolutely irrelevant? Totally irrelevant. Doesn't okay, mean anything. Okay. Doesn't mean anything. Okay, I'll stop wasting my time then. Yeah, yeah, it's it's totally <laughs> totally irrelevant. If it, only thing that's relevant is you have ten thousand dollars invested. Um, at one point in time, you invested it in two hundred shares. You still have ten thousand dollars invested. Only you may have now, you know, seven hundred shares. That's the only thing that's relevant. So the, the you know, your cost basis for all seven, you know, seven hundred shares is the same. So obviously your profit is much much higher. 
but other other than that, nothing changes. Your values don't change. No values change. That's why all the charts change immediately. Splits are way, way overrated. I hate splits, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, people, some people like, I would never, years ago, I'm going back 30 years ago, you would buy certain companies because you knew they were going to split just to get the shares if you were a long-term investor. Uh, you know, I bought Procter & Gamble back when it was on my list. I uh, probably bought it 15 times. Um, uh, uh, Caterpillar. You know, I could tell you every time Caterpillar was going to split, every time Procter & Gamble was going to split. I mean, they all split. They always, they just had a track record of splitting once certain once they hit a certain price. Um, they only did that to, to make it more, um, the, the only reason they split their stock is for more buyers to come in. Um, sp- stock splits do nothing but dilute the stock. And that's why I don't like them. I hate spot stock splits because there's more stocks on the street. It's, it's a diluted value now. It's not to say it won't go up and it won't hold its value, but it's still a diluted value. I'd rather have a non-diluted valued stock. So that's why you don't see stock splits today. That there are, People have gotten wise to that and understand. So, so the, one of the biggest problems is one of my pet peeves is we don't buy expensive stocks. We only buy cheap stocks. There are stocks I won't put on my buy list because it's too cheap. I know everybody's going to buy it because it's cheap. It's the worst thing you can do. Why do, why do we care how much a stock costs? All we should care about is we're investing you know, $1,000. Do we really care how many shares we're getting for that $1,000? It's not going to make any difference. The $1,000 is going to go up 10%, 20%, 30% over time, or it's going to go down that much regardless of how much we spent a share. Our money is going to be impacted the exact same regardless whether we have five shares or 500 shares. Our $1,000 is going to do the same thing. It's irrelevant. So we miss out on great companies because they're too expensive when we don't buy them. And, you know, I had a guy here listen to this, a partner, and all he does is buy the expensive stocks. He's Welcome back. <clears throat> Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. We're going to get back to calls, 610-363-1110. We'll get back to your phone calls, 610-363-1110. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. Uh, we'll watch the markets. We'll give you an update at the top of the next hour, uh, and then we'll get we'll stay with calls. 
I know it's year-end. Everybody's got a lot of questions. But let me go to Paul. Paul's calling from Massachusetts. Hey, Paul, good morning. Good morning, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing well, Paul. Dan, I heard you talk about the debt clock this morning, and I know you talk quite a bit about the uh, federal debt, which yes. is probably approaching about $29 trillion. Yes. But, you know, there's one, there's one thing I really ever hear about. It's called, uh, I guess they're called unfunded liabilities. Yes. Heard, uh, I've heard the term maybe once or twice, like in the past year. And there's this crazy amount of money attached to them. I've heard anywhere between 80 and 120 trillion with a T dollars. Yeah. When have you ever heard about these things? And yeah, I talk about it about? all. I, I talk about it all the time at my town hall meetings. When I when I get into uh, kind of where we're headed in the debt, and I do that more there for some reason because I can show the charts and the um, you know and all the issues. I so <clears throat> for years, uh, I'm going to say last or two years ago, uh, our unfunded liability was probably around, oh, a hundred and, I think they were saying was uh, 140,000. Uh, my, my number was 138. My number now is about 204. The number on the debt clock, I don't know what it is right now, uh, I, but it's over 200 trillion. Uh, it's an enormous amount of money. And the underfunded liabilities uh, are growing at a very, very rapid pace. So the basically the unfunded liability is very very simple. It's an IOU. It's an IOU that can never get paid back. So giving an example, the only reason Social Security uh, trust fund is is um, you know really in big big trouble is because Congress used the Social Security trust fund as their personal uh, piggy bank for their pet projects for years and years, and they would take money out and they would put in a intergovernmental note, which is an IOU. So they would write a piece of paper, hey, we owe the Social Security Trust Fund. Of course, they never pay it back. Those notes uh, continue to pile up. They become a a source of, um, you know, unfunded liability, obviously, because they're never going to get funded. The other things that are unfunded liabilities, though, the biggest part of it are the usage that will happen in Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Social Security Disability Benefits, and a few other social programs. And what they are is the spending is going to continue to flow, but the uh, expenses for it are not. And when they do a calculation on on that uh, difference, it is basically a true debt. It is a debt that we have. It is a liability, but there is no source of funding for that liability. There just isn't. The sources of funding that have for the particular program is already spent before we get it, and the spending on the liability is far and above the money that is allocated that we are going to get. Now, imagine if you would for a moment that that has been going on for 20, 30 years, right? More than that, but for a very, very long time. The unfunded part of the government's liabilities is basically insurmountable. It's not something that is ever, ever going to get funded. It can't. 
it is mathematically impossible. So it continues to get kicked down the road. And so it grows at a, uh, uh, an incredibly um, um, quick pace. These are the things, some of these things are considered off-balance sheets, and some of the things are things like COVID relief, hurricane relief, the kinds of things that are not budgeted. They're part of the untouchables of the, of the budget, of the federal budget every year. The untouchables of the federal budget are far larger than those things that they actually rule budgets on. And now, of course, we don't have budgets anymore. We have continued resolutions. So uh, it was very interesting. In 2013, when we did our first continued resolution, I, I said, and I was the only one who ever even talked about it, I said, I promise, I guarantee you can find it on past recordings if you don't believe me because I said it for years. It will never go away. It is a dream come true for politicians on both sides of the aisle because I can't call my congressional representative and say, you know what? You said we were only going to spend $438 billion on such and such. We've already spent $700 billion. How's that happen? You got to tell me how that happens. Well, there's no yardstick by which a politician could be measured anymore. It's gone. They've taken away the yardstick. So we, the people, can't even hold them accountable. We don't even know what they're, we don't, we don't have a budget. We don't have a line item for it. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. And of course, Republicans and Democrats alike applauded the idea that this whole continued resolution had started. It's never going to stop. And you know, it is when they start passing a budget, I say the same thing every year since. Well, I don't know why we're talking about a budget. You know what's going to happen. They're going to pass a continued resolution. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to pass a budget. They haven't passed a They don't even know how to do it. So the unfunded liabilities continue to mount and mount and mount. And they are insurmountable. The question is, will we at some point in time have to stop pedaling the bike. If we do, it's going to fall over. And so we are pedaling as fast as we can. We just manage to just barely stay ahead of, of uh, you know, bankruptcy. And we just keep, you know, we, we keep doing that. Now, we've got a, an administration that feels the way to do that is excessive taxation, which, which they're going to continue to incorporate so that they can stay in power. They can pedal the bike long enough to gain so much power that they'll never get out of power. So when the bike falls over, it won't be a threat to their power. And that's, that's exactly where we're headed. That's a long explanation. So, t- to so, tell, me, Dan, so tell me, Dan, is there interest on these unfunded liabilities? Well, the in- yes. And the interest itself is another unfunded liability. So, when they, when they talk, when the federal reserve talks about normalizing interest rates, this is why you've heard me say, uh, I'm sure Paul in recent, uh, months that I said, Janet Yellen is controlling what the fed does. It's totally politicized because Janet Yellen is saying we can't raise interest rates 
because our debt is so big that it it just a uh, um, one percentage point is going to add hundreds of billions of dollars onto our national debt, and we are go- our number one expense in America. In in very short order, will be interest on our debt. That's going to be more than our defense, more than anything that we spend money on. It's going to be Japan's largest government debt. Japan's largest government debt is interest on their debt. It's nothing else. We are quickly getting to that place where interest is going to be our number one debt. And if interest rates go up and get normalized, we're toast. Janet Yellen knows that. Federal Reserve knows that. Everybody in government knows that. <clears throat> We're, we'll, be, we'll be dropping a couple trillion dollars a year in our national debt just with interest. So, I have, uh, you know. what, I have, one, I have one more quick question. Sure. Um, have you ever heard this crazy idea about our government uh, minting a $1 trillion platinum coin? Yeah. Well, there would, no be, there would be no purpose in it. So I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't believe that's going to happen. I've heard about it, and it's kind of ludic- ludicrous. Um, you know, when, whenever you hear that, ask them, and they will do that, why? What is that going to do? It's, it's, they don't need, they, frankly, they don't even need to print money that they're printing now. Someday they'll stop. But someday in the not-too-distant future, they'll stop. There, there's, it's, it's so irrelevant right now. Um, we, you know, everything that, that we do and transactions, you know, the larger, our largest debt holder is the federal reserve. They, uh, in my numbers, this isn't theirs. These are my numbers. Their, their numbers are about seven. My, my numbers are $14 trillion worth of our debt. And well, where do they get the money? It's, it's not, there's no money. It's a, it's a balance sheet transaction. It's what it is. It's a balance sheet transaction. There's no, there's not $7 trillion to, to print. That would take, you know, that would take, I don't know, 30, 40 years to print, uh, you know, that kind of money. I mean, it's, it's not, so yeah, would they be able, the purpose of a trillion dollar coin or a trillion, trillion dollar note would be, um, you know, they, they wouldn't have to print so many, so many bills. They could just print you know, four or five of those every month and be done with it. I mean, but it's, it's, it's kind of meaningless. It's, uh, it's not going to slow down or change our debt or, or do anything of any good for the, uh, for the financial strength and the sovereignty of our dollar. It's going to do nothing for any of that. Thank you, Paul. Right. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. You got a great show. Thank you. God bless Keep telling some people up there about us. God bless. Thank you, Paul. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Boy, I'm telling you, a lot of uh, uh, explanation here going on today. But, you know, some great, great questions. I love, I love questions like that. I think they're very, very edifying for people. Listen, you all, anybody that listens to me for any length of time and knows me, knows the program. You know that I always do any kind of analytics from a place, 
from a very, very, very pragmatic place. I look at things very practically and very logically. You know, it is one thing to extrapolate some numbers that are just almost too hard to comprehend. But, let, let, and, and a trillion dollars, you know, if you printed a, a dollar bill every second of every day for, you know, clock 24 seven, how long do you think it would take to reach a trillion dollars? Does anybody have, do you have a guess, Seth? How many years? You know, it has to be a lot of years, I'd imagine. Probably long after all of us are around. I'm going to say a couple hundreds. Let's say like, let's say like 200, 300 years. Yeah, like 200, 300 years. 35,000 years. Holy smokes. (laughs) 35,000 years. It's more than that. It's like 35, 600. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. the exact number. But, but 35,000 years. It's insanity. Wow. It's insanity. So obviously you could print, you know, a uh, trillion dollars, you know, in no time. You could just, it, it wouldn't be. So you would just put in a trillion dollar bill into circulation in the sense that you wouldn't trade it, you wouldn't use it, but you could monetize maybe a trillion dollars all at once in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how you would do that. I guess you would have to get China to buy it or somebody like that, a Federal Reserve can buy it, buy a trillion dollar bill and immediately monetize it. And it only took you a couple seconds to print it. So I guess you could do something like that. But it is just we're playing with such large mathematical numbers that it is just incredible. I only, you know, I usually just use the analogy of a billion dollars, which if, if the Lord Jesus spent a, a million dollars every day from the time he was born until today, we still wouldn't have a billion dollars yet. I mean, when you think of think of that, just in a billion, that's astronomical. But a trillion is insane, and nobody in nobody in Congress cares. They don't know. They don't understand the impact of it. They don't realize the what it means. I'll tell you what it means. Let me tell you what they know that it means today. Republicans, Democrats, Independents—they all know one thing that it inevitably will lead to an enormous amount of power, social control, and communism that so many of them want. There won't be a debate about global warming. There will just be this communist regime that will either do it or they won't. They will run out of other people's money to spend. There has to be a fall. There has to be a catastrophe. The only thing that can save us right now is a midterm election that Republicans uh, take 50, 60 seats. They don't have to. They only have to take 13 and the same effect will happen. 
that they're probably going to take 40, 50, 60 seats from the House of Representatives. And the best thing that could happen is a do-nothing Congress. They got one year to get their agenda. We can do everything we can to slow it down. But it's going to take the Joe Manchins of the world to do it. But after November of next year, the idea would be that we then have a do-nothing Congress. Republicans can't do anything because even though they might have control, they won't be able to do anything because every bill they put forth will get vetoed by the president. So they're not going to accomplish anything. And so they're not even going to try in all likelihood. The Democrats won't be able to get anything done because they won't have any power. They won't have, they'll have a very small uh, group of people in there. They won't have any power. So they're not going to get anything done. So, <coughs> excuse me. The only thing that's going to get done in that two-year period between next November and the presidential elections are going to be executive order, edicts, dictate. Mandates. But here's the beauty. I don't know that this will happen because I'm talking about the Republicans here that don't have the backbone to do anything. But um, I, I would hope that what would happen is anything that they did that violated the parliamentary rules of the Senate um, would, uh, or, or just um, the Constitution, there would be protest um, by the Senate and you know, uh, hearings, and it would be shot down. That's what the hope would be. Now, whether they would have the energy or the, or the guts to do that's a whole nother story. But if we could get to November without too much more collateral damage and, and, and damage done to America, which is going to be a hard thing to do, but if we can get to November and then we have this sweeping change in November, and if we don't have a sweeping change, and Democrats hold the House and the Senate, then we know that the elections are all fraud and the presidential elections will be meaningless. And, you know, Kamala Harris or whoever they want to be president will be president and nothing else matters. And the world, America, as we know it, will be over. That's a horrible, horrible thing to think about, but it's the truth. That's where it's going to be. So, um, this to say that the next uh, twelve months are uh, about critical, or eleven and a half months are as critical as they get right now. There, there's never been a more criti- critical time. That is assuming that elections will be fair. So when we think about you know the conspiracy theories and all the things, and some just regular old theories, some of them legitimate. <clears throat> we've got to think logically and practically through them. And um, that's, that's why the long explanation that, that I can do, it's easy to understand. It really is. I, I can make it easy to understand. I believe I can because um, it isn't complicated. It isn't complicated. All right, let me go to Teresa in Arkansas. Hey, Teresa. Hey, Dan. Good morning. I have, a, I have an elementary question compared to the ones you've had today. Um, um, we will, my, my husband and I both are 71 this year, be 72, uh, July and December of next year. My question is 
we we do need a tax uh, deduction this year. Do we continue our contributions to our IRAs for this year? Although we will be required to take RMDs next year, is that a, not a good strategy, or should I go ahead and contribute to them this year or not? I would not. You would not. I would not. Nope. It's just more that you're going to be taxed on astronomically someday when you take it out. I would much rather you bite the bullet and and uh, pay some taxes rather than than need that tax deduction. I I believe that in the long run you'll be better off for not doing that. I wouldn't put any more money into it uh, ever again, and I would start working on getting some of it out at some point. Yeah, now. I think I've got yeah. about two thousand in my husband and mine. About two thousand in each one of those but I didn't know whether to go ahead and do the maximum or not. No, I would not. Okay. That answers my question. Thank you so All much. All right. Love it was show. a good question. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Let me go to uh, Roy. Roy Connors from Illinois. Hi, Roy. Hello, Dan. Uh, good morning. Just a quick, quick question for you. Uh, a few days ago, I believe I heard you say um, it would be wise to uh, – take money out of something like my 401k. I'm 71 um, and I can pull out an, uh, 150000 out of that and just increase my taxes uh, just 2%. Um, is Did I hear correctly? Yes, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you want to start pulling that out, Roy, uh, if you can. And uh, it's well worth a 2% increase. Um, to do that now, definitely. All right. That answers my question. Thank you very much. All right, Roy. I appreciate it. Um, Just speaking about what Roy said, let me just stay on that for a second, folks. There's two things that you ought to be doing. If you've got something that you got to take capital gains on, please don't wait. Um, You know, the bill before the Senate right now um, is, is got a 37% capital gains, gains tax uh, in it came out of uh, the Congress. That's part of the thing they're going to be wrangling over. Don't know if they'll get rid of it or not, or they'll keep it in there. That's Jimmy Carter, uh, capital gains tax rate, uh, 37%. That is uh, astronomical. Uh, if you got to take capital gains on something, if you got an investment property to sell, I hope you're doing it. I'm selling a piece of property. The guy called me on Friday. It's buying it. He said, look, would you mind waiting till the end of you know next year? I said I really don't want to, because that that's a capital gain tax at thirty seven percent potentially. If it's not thirty seven, who cares? It's going to be thirty. It's going to be twenty eight. It's going to be higher than the fifteen that I'd have to pay now. So um, really keep that in mind. Highly appreciated stock. Great time to gift it to a ministry. If you want to gift it for your year end giving to financial issues. Email Pat at FISM.TV. She'll tell you how to do it. It's real simple. I hope you'll think about it. If you got to leave us, have a great day. God bless. We'll be back. Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take up the cross. Follow me. It's not your money I want. I want your heart. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. 
I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. I love your vacation home. How much time do you spend here? As much as we want. And when we're not using it, we rent it out. Our amazing team cares for and markets it on all the major booking sites. What team does all that? Vacasa. They manage everything, and I see it all on my phone. Plus, they've been earning us over 20% more after I switched from my last property manager. Your vacation home earned you that much? It's not a vacation home. It's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 800-544-0300 or visit vacasa.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Monday, November 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, where am I? Oh, sorry. I was just waking up from my turkey-induced coma. <laughs> it was like great. Like many of us. It was great. How was yours? Uh, the same. The yeah. same. And, yeah, going to going to have to get back on the uh, the whole exercising thing. No, <laughs> Cause no, there was no, not no, a lot no, of no, that no. happening. Yeah, well, I mean, you gotta. I mean, it's it's you gotta give it the full. Don't you just wait till January? I mean, really, like, can't you just like December's a that's a whole holiday month too. So it's I don't know. I've always found it difficult to to just you know turn it on and off like that. I, I just sort of give up around the beginning of October, <laughs> and then just then just try to you know to, to reassess at the beginning of January. <laughs> wait for the season of resolutions. Yeah, I get it. yeah. Um, we're going to start with uh, the present that the news fairy dropped off this morning, which is <laughs> Jack Dorsey resigning as CEO of Twitter. Um, Parag Agrawal, who is the longtime chief technology officer at Twitter, uh, was named to move into the corner office. And initially, this was really moving the stock. At one point early this morning, shares of Twitter were up 11%. Now they're basically flat. Um, there are a couple of things I want to get to, but let's let's start with, look, we're long-term investors, but let's start with the very short-term movement of the stock. Because yeah. one way to read what happened was that Everyone got very excited. And look, this has been um, pushed by uh, some activist investors who were pushing for change, um, not happy with what has happened with Twitter stock over the last few years. And so initially, you could look at this and say, oh, great, we got the change we wanted. And then, and this is not a knock on uh, Parag Agrawal, um, but... One way to read what happened to the stock or what is happening with the stock is that people got excited for change and then change came in the form of 
a longtime Twitter executive who basically said, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really sound like change. It just sounds like you're kind of switching chairs out there. Um, I, it, 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 let's begin with the very first uh, point you noted there. I mean, the, the, the sort of knee-jerk reaction. And, and I mean, I, I guess that's sort of been the, the trend here over the last uh, couple of days, at least. Um, I, I would I would qualify last week's sell-off as a knee-jerk reaction. And, and I think that um, what we saw on Twitter this morning was a knee-jerk reaction, albeit an understandable one. I mean, I think that... Uh, one of one of the criticisms we've had, a lot of people have had with with Twitter over the years, is the fact that that Jack Dorsey is running two companies, right? I mean, running Square and Twitter just seems like a lot. And I, I mean, I, I certainly early on felt like it, it made sense. I felt like he was the one who at least could bring some some mentality of experimentation of trying new things with Twitter. I feel like Twitter really needed him at that point in time to try to right the ship there. And, and I think he's done a lot. I think he's done a lot with with Twitter, uh, the business, so to speak. I mean, to me, the platform is really more or less the same. I mean, I know they continue to introduce little bells and whistles along the way, but meaningfully, they haven't really changed the nature of the platform. But the business itself, I think Dorsey's done a pretty good job of right-sizing it. Um, he, he had a obviously took a big big uh he had a big focus on on stock based compensation early on bringing that back down towards uh peer peer levels and he and he's he's done that as well so from a business perspective uh good job from a platform perspective maybe not quite as good of a job i don't know that that's necessarily his fault because i feel like the nature of the platform I don't know, to me, and I mean, I, I've always been a, a Twitter user, but to me, it feels like, you know, we talk, you and I talk a lot about businesses that sort of, we feel like there's a ceiling, and I feel like Twitter, the platform, maybe has hit its ceiling. I, I, I just, I'm not, I don't believe it's a platform for the masses. I think it serves a unique purpose, um, but but I don't think it's a platform for the masses, and it's free-flowing and fast nature. I think it's going to make it difficult to monetize meaningfully over the coming years, which is going to be a big problem uh, for for Mr. Agrawal. I, I, I honestly, I thought... Kayvon Beckpour would would have been the guy uh, taking that chair over. He uh, Kayvon is the uh, one of the founders of Periscope. Came onto the the Twitter team when that deal it, uh, was was uh, finalized, and he's he's been the head of consumer product there for a while. But uh, I mean, either way, I think it's good to see someone internal. Um, I, I just I just don't know how much I don't know what else they can really do with it. I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges. There is an argument to be made that the smoothest transition is to go with someone, a longtime executive like this. Um, But to your point, this is going to be um, interesting to see over the next, let's call it six to 12 months. Um, Are there going to be significant changes to the business? Um, You think back to when uh, Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft and Within that calendar year, it was obvious that he was going in a different direction than his predecessor, Steve Ballmer, was. And I I think there's an opportunity here um, for the new CEO. There is. And I, I, 
a couple of a couple of things there. Number one, I don't know if if you had a chance to read the email that Jack Dorsey sent. I I found it very enlightening. It was it was a very interesting perspective I think he has there in regard to founder-led companies because his his primary point, like one of his biggest points in all of this, um, we, we talk a lot about businesses that are founder-led and how, how much of a how much we value that, right? Founder-led business being such such a high quality um, dynamic there, so, so you always always really take note. And Dorsey sees it a little bit from from a different perspective there, in that he, he calls companies that are being founder-led up up to a point that's fine, but ultimately what it can it can ultimately limit. Where the company can go, and it risks that single point of failure when you tie that company's success to to one individual or or a collection of individuals. In the case of co-founders, and I, I mean, I, it's not going to be absolutely right or wrong one way or the other. I certainly see his perspective. I think it's a fair one. While I'm sure some will disagree with it, I mean, there are plenty of examples out there that speak to it, right? I mean, there are founders that just kind of hit their hit their limit. They're not able to take that business to the next level, um, and, and and sometimes they can leave a little bit too late. I think that in regard to to Twitter, the one thing that Mr. Agrawal is going to have to deal with is is some explicit goals that Dorsey set out earlier in the year uh, in, in regard to where they want to take this business by 2023. I mean, they're talking about a goal of at least 315 million uh, monetizable daily active users. Uh, they're talking about something like uh, they wanted to more than double their revenue, double total revenue to over seven and a half billion dollars by 2023. Those are some very audacious goals, and and I, I'm honestly I look at that with a little bit of, of skepticism. I don't think they can achieve that. I would be surprised if they did. I hope they do, um, but but to me that sounds like a bit of a lofty goal. So I do wonder if they're not going to go back and maybe look at those explicit goals and reassess. But for now. Hey, listen. I mean, Wall Street's going to hold them to it, and, and if they go in there and they change those goals to the downside, uh, I, I it'll be it'll be noteworthy how how investors react to that, whether they see that as an admission of uh, taking a more realistic approach, or or if they see it as internal pessimism in regard to the business. That that we'll have to wait and see. But those those are some benchmarks to keep an eye on, those user goals and that revenue goal. Uh, because as it stands right now, that's what that's what the uh, that's what the street's expecting. And and so leadership is gonna have to figure out a way to deliver. Last thing before we move on, you think back to let's just say January. Who are the CEOs of the big tech companies? that occasionally get hauled in front of Congress to answer questions. <laughs> and now we've got Jack Dorsey joining Jeff Bezos in 2021 as saying, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't blame him. It doesn't really look like a very enjoyable experience. And you add to that the fact that it does, I'm getting the vibe that a lot of those people in Congress don't quite know what they're talking about, Chris. I mean, they, I could be off base, but I'm just throwing it out there. Just in time for Cyber Monday. Amazon executive Dave Clark said this morning on CNBC that his company is about to become the largest package delivery service in the United States, passing both UPS and FedEx, if not by the end of this calendar year, then in early 2020. Are you surprised by this? Because as an Amazon shareholder who has watched them build up their delivery service over the past decade, I'm surprised at this. I don't know when I thought it was going to happen. I didn't think they were that close. 
I, I I've started thinking about this more and more lately, just because I, I mean we have we have multiple Amazon packages delivered to my house on a daily basis. I mean, for whatever reason, there's always something being dropped off. My dogs can attest to it. Um, and what I've seen more and more, re- re- respectfully, your dogs are not the one um, paying for that. No, no, they're not. But they, so when they you are, say for whatever reason, it's like I'm pretty sure uh, you and your spouse are the reason. They're they're the beneficiaries of some of those packages, but yes, you're right. They're not the ones forking over the bucks. Uh, but we, I, I think it it, it it strikes me that more and more of these delivery vehicles have that Amazon logo on them. I've just I've noticed that, and I mean it's not to say we don't have FedEx and UPS stopping by as well, but but it, it's certainly the ratio has has come far more to parity than it ever has been. So I'm not terribly surprised. I mean, I, I think to me with with Amazon, the biggest risk for Amazon has always been ultimately not living up to what they say they want to be in being the world's most customer centric company. So if they start getting the reputation of not being able to get stuff from point A to point B on the timeline that they promise, consumers will go elsewhere. There are more options out there now. I mean, ten years ago, Amazon was a little bit more of a, of an only game in town sort of sort of a thing. But but that's that's not the case today. You have other options, and so I think they 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 saw that. I think a while back, they you know Bezos has always been very very uh, forward in, in saying how scared he is of. of, of customers and the competition and customers always waking up the next day and choosing someone else. And so you have to be able to to do everything in your power to keep them. And so years ago, they had the wherewithal really to invest in this massive network in, in, in logistics and fulfillment. And, and it's starting to pay off, right? I mean, the shipping and logistics market opportunity is just really, really big. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in play here from a global perspective. Amazon clearly being a global company. Uh, this is this is the investments that they've made over the past decade plus in in fulfillment now start to make a lot more sense. And I think I think that's why the market was always willing to give it a little bit of wiggle room because there was some understanding that that they were trying to 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 do this. But I mean ultimately this this is really i think a good thing i mean they they have so much data not only on on what people are buying but now where it's got to go and they have so many so many facets to this distribution channel whether it's straight to the house amazon lockers pick up and store somewhere else i mean it's just just a number of different ways uh for them to get those goods out there um and while we always talk about aws being really really the profit center of the business this still at the end of the day is an e-commerce business um, uh, on a global scale, so so to see this happening doesn't surprise me. It probably is a little bit faster than some expected, but uh, it absolutely makes sense. It turns them into a little bit more of a vertical uh, organization with more control uh, over that entire distribution chain, and and for investors, that could be a very good thing. You go back to about this time eight years ago, twenty thirteen. That was. Maybe disastrous is too strong a word. That was a bad holiday season for Amazon. <laughs> um, that was the year that um, they didn't have nearly the control over uh, the shipping and logistics that they have right now. And they ended up sending a lot of gift cards to people who had bought things for the holidays that did not arrive on time as they were expecting. And I don't know. You just you you think about everything we know about Bezos um, and his focus. Uh, my hunch is not that that was necessarily a tipping point 
for Amazon, but I have to believe that uh, it did inform the decision to make these investments that they've made, you know, because uh, let's be clear, there's been no shortage of people questioning these investments. Yep. Um, starting early on and then sort of through the decade where people are like, well, wait a minute, why why do you want to do that? Why do you want to spend on planes and trucks and the people necessary <laughs> to drive? Why would you do that when you can rely? It's not like FedEx and UPS are startup businesses. <laughs> they're established. They're global leaders. Why not just depend on them? And uh, I think the holiday season of 2013 goes on the list of reasons that Amazon has methodically grown this part of their business. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you can sit back there and say, why do that heavy lifting, uh, seemingly low margin work when you could just get someone else to do it for you? And and that's the reason, right? It puts you at risk of not being able to live up to your promise. And and uh, Bezos and team there have, have uh, they're they're known for leaving no stone unturned. And and I'll tell you, I mean, when you look at you're right, FedEx and UPS between the two of them bring in uh, you know, around 180 billion dollars in revenue on an annual basis. Now, Amazon somewhere in the neighborhood of 450 mil, uh, billion in, in growing, um, but that can just put it into context. Those two businesses compared to Amazon's, and I think. Uh, they probably saw back then that with the promises they wanted to keep, with the philosophy that they were taking and being so customer centric, that shipping was going to become a a more expensive part of the business as as they as they got bigger. And certainly, I mean, if you look at worldwide shipping costs in the most recent quarter of eighteen point one billion dollars, that was up twenty percent from a year ago. And on on $110 billion in sales, that shipping represented about 16.4% of total revenue. Now, if you go back to 2018, that same quarter, shipping costs were about $6.6 billion on $56.6 billion in sales. So, it was only about uh, 11.6%. of total revenue, so so certainly that trend has continued. I think they I think they they had that foresight back then that 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 uh, sort of sort of forecasting ability to to say you know what shipping is going to become a bigger part of our business as time goes on. Let's try to figure out how we can benefit from it multiple ways, not only in making sure that our customers are getting their stuff on time, uh, but but maybe we could be the ones to do it. Uh, as, as long as we're able to continue investing in and building out this network, and you know what, they uh, we all gave them a little bit of wiggle room there to build out that network, and, and here we go. I think uh, this this is another good example of why you, you don't. I, I don't I think for shareholders of Amazon, I just I don't think you want to be selling these shares anytime soon because it just it has a lot of different ways it can win. And uh, even though Jeff Bezos has stepped down from the CEO position, I think uh, Mr. Jassy still has has plenty of, of uh, road ahead, you know, market share to capture. A last thing before we move on, uh, one data point from the media industry, which is that last year a record number of Broadcast radio stations flipped their format to the holiday format. More than 500 stations did that. And they did that because, uh, historically, it's quite profitable for those radio stations. Um, All of this is just a prelude to something long-time listeners know, which is that Wednesday, December 1st, it's our annual campaign here at Market Foolery uh, to find the alternative holiday music, to celebrate... (laughs) 
you know, songs, the great music, other than those 50 songs that get played all the time. Yeah. No disrespect to Mariah Carey. None. Uh, she recorded a classic, and God only knows how much money she's made off the royalties of that <laughs> one song. But uh, we're going to be playing some different stuff starting on Wednesday. I love it. I love it. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Good afternoon, and uh, apologies for disturbing your Saturday. The UK's plan against COVID has been working. When Boris Johnson delivers a news conference on a weekend, we all know by now that almost certainly means change is coming. So we need to take targeted and proportionate measures now as a precaution while we find out more. The cause this time? A new COVID variant. Two cases of the new Omicron COVID variant have been detected in the UK. One is in Chelmsford in Essex, the other in Nottingham. One thing that we are doing immediately is carrying out targeted testing and sequencing of positive cases in the two areas that are affected. And secondly, we are adding four more countries to the red list. Begin with some breaking news and a further case of the new Omicron variant has been confirmed in the UK. We understand the person travelled from southern Africa, spent some time in the Westminster area of London and has now left the United Kingdom. So what more do we know about Omicron? Are the measures announced by the government tough enough to protect the NHS? And where does this new variant leave firms, flying and families this Christmas? Welcome to the Sky News Daily Podcast with me, Dermot Manahan, as we examine the story beyond the headline. The variant discovered in Botswana could be more infectious and more resistant to vaccines. And one expert has described it as the worst we've seen so far. Joe Fala, South Africa's health minister, says they're doing all they can to contain it. From the experience of the last 21 months or so, we almost can predict how this is going to move. The new COVID variant was first detected in South Africa on November the 23rd. Soon after, the World Health Organization declared Omicron to be a variant of concern, putting it in the same category as Delta, which forced several European countries to re-enter lockdown and impose restrictions. Our correspondent, Charlotte Lomas, examined what experts quickly learned about Omicron. Initially named B11529, it has some unique characteristics that make it particularly concerning to scientists, namely its high level of mutations, the spike protein. It's the key that allows the virus to enter human cells and it's also the part of the vaccine targets. Each genetic change to the virus can impact the symptoms a person has and the treatment needed. And when the virus mutates, there's a possibility that the vaccine won't be able to identify the virus as well as it did before. It could be more infectious or less so. Let's look back at the previous variants that we know of. 
the beta variant had three mutations near the tip of the spike protein. It spread easier and reproduced quicker than the original form of the virus. The Delta variant has two prominent mutations. This is a more aggressive strain that was found to cause more severe illness and was more resistant to existing treatments. Omicron has 32 mutations, 10 alone at the spike, an astonishingly high number. The one thing that I think makes people concerned, and that's why there's so much interest in this, is the number of mutations and the way in which that might change uh, the immune system's recognition of the virus, which is how you get um, vaccine escape. So that's, that's why people are concerned about this. We heard from the government's chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Balance, who stood alongside the Prime Minister during the news conference. So where does this leave us? Well, Sky's health correspondent, Ashish Joshi, joins me on the podcast. Ashish, well, it's a simple question, but it's the one that everyone's got, which is um, how worried should we be and how worried is the government? We should be worried because this is a new variant. New variants are always something to be careful about because we just don't know how they're going to behave. Variants can actually, as they evolve, become less of a danger to their host. So there's one school of thought which seems to suggest that as this variant, as it spreads, it becomes weaker and it won't do as much damage to its host, i.e. us people. But of course, with every variant, it has to be watched very, very carefully. The reason why governments and scientists are worried about this particular the Omicron variant is because of its genetic mutations. This is all to do with the way it's made up with its spike protein. And that is what the vaccine works against. So the the big danger with this variant is, is it going to make people much sicker? Is it going to lead to higher hospitalizations? And ultimately, that means, will the vaccines we have in our armory at present work as effectively against Omicron as it does against Delta and the other variants. And that can't be answered right now. Right, I understand then. So so hence the the buying of time, as the government puts it, with these extra restrictions being brought in to wait and see if any of those questions are answered about how uh, dangerous and how effective it may be. But also, I mean, could there be a situation where we actually do need to to develop, well, not new vaccines, but um, change the ones we've got to deal with this. Yes, and I think that's exactly where we are with the vaccine manufacturers. They've said already, we were expecting this to happen. We expect variants, we expect mutations, because that is what viruses do. They are ready, they are primed. And the great news is, Dermot, they're not starting from scratch. The work, the main body of work has been done, essentially... This is the same virus, but different. So they have the technology, they have the expertise, the basics of the vaccine are exactly the same. But what they will have to do is to re-engineer it, just tweak it so that it becomes more effective against a recognised variant. So they were ready, they were waiting, they knew this was going to happen. It's almost an inevitability. And one vaccine manufacturer has just said... Give us 100 days. They put a time limit on it. They said, give us 100 days and then we will be in a position to give you a vaccine that is as effective against this variant as it is against the ones we're battling against right now. 
Let's explore buying time then. We understand the reasoning, but um, what about the measures then? Well, clearly stopping flights from the most affected areas. Yep, that that makes an awful lot of sense in terms of buying time. But what about the restrictions then within England in particular? You know, masks in certain places, public transport and shops, but not pubs and restaurants uh, and places of work. And, you know, no social distancing, um, no telling people to work from home. You know, if they really were going to go hard and fast, this really isn't it, is it? No, they're going fast, certainly. And and this is plan A+. We haven't moved to plan B yet. That could happen further down the line. You know, the health secretary, in interview after interview, has, has said exactly that. Boris Johnson, right at the beginning, when he lifted all of these restrictions, he said, if I need to, when we discover a variant which is dangerous and it threatens taking us back to the very beginning of this pandemic again, then I will have to reintroduce further measures, tougher measures. He hasn't felt the need to do that yet. And he seems to be supported by the science. The science at the moment says there is a variant. It isn't at the moment leading to more sickness and hospitalizations in South Africa where it was discovered. But that could happen between two to three weeks further down the line. There is a lag. If they see that happening, there will be enough warning, the government thinks, for it to act in a more aggressive manner than it's done so already. At the moment, the mitigations are face masks and the travel restrictions and the booster rollout. So, Sajid Javid, the health secretary, has gone back to the JCVI and said, look, I really want to further the the booster rollout to a younger demographic, to under 40-year-olds. Give me the permission to do that. Make that recommendation. And then we can do so not only younger people, but reduce the time between the gaps. So these are all measures designed to give the government, this government and other international governments, just some time, some space to work while it decides just how dangerous this variant is. So what it's doing with the masks and everything else, it's just introducing some mitigating measures, but not all. It hasn't gone to the full plan B. It might need to, and it accepts that. But at the moment, it says these are proportionate measures. What We're acting um, according to what is happening. This is not a knee-jerk reaction. But remember, Dermot, Remember what happened with Delta and and the speed at which Delta spread. The Indians were criticised for for not giving as much information about the Delta variant when it was first discovered in their country. And the the international community was was late and slow to respond. That hasn't been the case with this uh, variant discovered in South Africa, the Omicron variant. They praised the South African scientists and said... They have flagged this very early on. We've been able to put in travel restrictions. And so far, we have a limited number of cases, but that is expected to rise. So could we reach a position, Ashish, maybe even before Christmas, but certainly within the next few weeks or maybe a a couple of months or so, where it is, you know, stand down. It is a new variant. There have been plenty of those, but, it, you know, it isn't going to supersede Delta. And we're dealing with that. It's um, as you were back on course. Yes, of course, because we simply don't know which way this is going to go. We, we've heard from one SAGE member already who, who anticipates Omicron to be the dominant variant within the space of a couple of weeks. That could certainly happen. It, it's difficult to second guess which way this is going to go. We, we simply don't have enough data. 
the South African scientists are gathering information all the time. Now, when you have more cases as they are emerging across the European mainland, those will help scientists to understand more about how this variant is spreading. The people, the passengers who are who are carrying this, were they asymptomatic? Were they vaxxed? Were they double vaxxed? All of these things will help us to understand more about this variant and take proportionate action against it. Will we be in a situation where in two weeks' time or three weeks' time we'll need further measures? Yes, possibly. But we've heard the health secretary say, I'm hopeful that in a couple of weeks' time, we can go back to where we were. You won't have to wear face masks in shops or on public transports. And we'll go back to trying to, to regain some normality after this pandemic. But the, the caveat to all of that is the prime minister has said, in three weeks' time, I will review the decisions we've taken. That means those three weeks will be exactly seven days away from Christmas. We don't know which way it will go then. Even if it is, you know, back to that, you know, that benign scenario, back to that situation, well, it's not entirely benign, certainly not for the National Health Service, which we know right now, dealing with what we've got, case numbers keep ticking up and more than ticking. Well, they hit 50,000 mm. a couple of days ago, didn't they? And, you know, it's pretty close to the red line already w without dealing with large numbers of uh, Omicron. Yes, absolutely. I think the, the danger with all of this is we forget we are still in the middle of a pandemic with the Delta variant that is still causing up to 40 to 50,000 people to be infected every week. And that's a huge number of people. I've heard several NHS leaders already talking about the impact Omicron is likely to have. Remember the other mitigating uh, factors we have restrictions on people who are identified as contacts of somebody who has the Omicron variant, they have to isolate for 10 days, irrespective of their vaccine status. Now, those people could be NHS workers. The NHS is absolutely crippled by staffing shortages. That's the number one crisis in the NHS at the moment. You speak to any trust leader and say, what is your biggest challenge? And they will say, we don't have the staff to deal with the workloads. Our staff are traumatised, they're tired, they're sick, they're isolating, they don't want to go through another wave. And already we've lost so many. There, there are many uh, vacancies in the NHS which simply can't be filled for the next six months to a year that people need to be trained up. So the impact of Omicron on the nation is incalculable. If you think that, you know, if this virus does, if this variant does become the dominant variant and it spreads quickly, and these are all ifs, then people are being asked to isolate for 10 days, even though they've been vaccinated. That has an impact on the biggest workforce in this country, and that is the National Health Service. So, yes, of course. And actually, a big thought here on what it tells us about the global vaccination programme. Of course, the natural reaction in countries like our own and so many others that seem to have a plentiful supply of vaccines at the moment is, yeah, you know, let's boost the booster programme, as the Prime Minister puts it. And yes, of course, we all think that. But we also know in the back of our minds that one of the reasons why uh, these uh, mutations, these variants of concern may be being developed, uh, particularly in parts of the world that don't have access to, to vaccinations, is precisely because of that, because we're hogging them all. And in reality, the answer should not be more boosters for us rich countries. It should be get them out there, get them out to South Africa, get them out to sub-Saharan Africa, get them to those countries that were, you know, a tiny proportion of the population have only had one jab. 
Absolutely. Vaccine equity is, is really going to become the dominant issue over the next few months. With South Africa in particular, this is a difficult case to answer because the South African authorities, the South African scientists and the public health agencies in South Africa are saying we don't have a problem with vaccine access. We have a problem with vaccine take up. There seems to be a real hesitancy in South Africa with taking the vaccine. But that that is the one one country there. But the rest of the countries in southern Africa they will argue we can't vaccinate our populations because we don't have equitable access to the vaccines. The West has far more supplies than we do. And yes, we heard it right right at the start when we had this vaccine, that, that really striking phrase, you know, we are not vaccinated unless everyone in the world is vaccinated. And that is really coming home to us now. We are understanding that we are a joined up international community and we can't work in isolation. You cannot protect a community and seal it off from the rest of the world and hope that you remain safe and protected while the rest of the world struggles to cope. Because we're we, we seeing it now. We're seeing it play out in front of our very eyes. We will have more mutations. We will have more variants. Hopefully, you know, n- none that will be as as devastating as the ones we've had during this pandemic. But that could happen. That's a really serious possibility. And unless there is vaccine equity and fair distribution across the developing world, then we are going to have this problem again and again. And just lastly, Ashish, uh, I thought again about South Africa, as you say, praised for its uh, prompt identification, raising the alarm as quickly as as possible. I mean, that's uh, doing the world a service. But of course, the WHO saying, well, look, now they're being punished for it because of the travel bans that will have an economic effect. And we don't want this to be a disincentive to other countries, should they come across such variants, to report them. Yes, really, really valid points. South Africa is going to be punished. There is going to be travel disruption. There are going to be job losses. There are going to be economies which are really badly hit. It, you know, it relies on, on a lot of tourism. It relies on people coming into South Africa. And this is going to be an issue. And will that stop other countries from coming forward if they are as dependent as South Africa might be on, on tourism and reviving an industry which has been so badly hit over the last two years? That sector in particular... It's going to be an issue, but how do you square that circle, Dermot? Thankfully, we are dealing with scientists. We're dealing with public health authorities who understand the significance. And the fact that this variant was picked up, identified, and those alerts were sent out to the international community so quickly, that's what's given us a head start in the fight against Omicron. Will other countries be reluctant to? I'm sure, I'm sure if this was left to the politicians... That might come into play. I am hopeful that the scientific community understands the the greater need. But certainly this is an issue that needs to be addressed. And it's a very valid point. And I really do feel for all those people in, in southern Africa who will be affected economically by this. Coming up, more on South Africa's prompt response after first detecting the new variant Omicron. Well, as we know, the Omicron variant was first detected in South Africa. 
Professor Barry Shub is chair of the country's Ministerial Advisory Committee on COVID-19 vaccines. He spoke to my colleague Trevor Phillips, who firstly asked how fast the new COVID variant may be spreading. It isn't spreading very rapidly. Uh, in fact, if you look at about, what, 10 days ago, we were about 283 new cases a day. We are now just over 3,000, 3,200. Uh, still very much, very much less than what you've got in the United, Co- uh, United Kingdom, about a tenth of it, but it is spreading rapidly. Uh, it started off in the Gauteng province, around Johannesburg, and then is now certainly spreading to other provinces as well. How worried are you about this? Uh, the question that's being asked here is, will it displace Delta? Yeah, that's, that's really the question that, we, that we're wrestling with, because, you know, it's got many, many more mutations in Delta. Delta's got probably about 16 identified mutations. This has got over 30 in the spike protein, the critical part of the virus. So that makes it variant of concern. So we're all worried about it. But I suppose we're trying to always to look at the light at the end of the tunnel, and this is speculation. I must stress it is speculation. But because it's got all these mutations, does it, in fact, destabilize the virus? It might make it less fit than Delta. In a way, hopefully it won't displace Delta because uh, – Delta, we know, uh, responds very well to the vaccine. But at the moment, it's certainly becoming the dominant uh, of, the, of the isolates that you looked at, the dominant uh, variant. But uh, it doesn't mean to say that it always remain that way. Even if it does go away, relatively speaking, quickly, while it is here, what are the signs about its virulence, the extent to which it's serious and will cause hospitalizations? It's early days. We don't know as yet. Uh, that, that's the bottom line. There's an optimistic view that so far the cases have been pretty mild. And if you know, we have a, a hospital surveillance uh, program as well, and that hasn't shown any significant uptick. So certainly the cases that have occurred so far have all been mild cases, mild to moderate cases. And that's a good sign. But uh, let me stress, it is early days. We still have to wait and see. Do you have any idea yet uh, how this mutation came about? Is it just a freak? Is it just something that you might expect in the normal course of events? Or is there anything special about the origins of this? Well, you know, this is a virus. It's a, it's a plastic virus. In other words, it tends to mutate very readily under conditions where uh, it is mutating, particularly in people who might be partially immunosuppressed. In other words, where they're not getting rid of the virus. Then those vi- that remnant virus which remains will be selectively enriched to escape immunity and to become more transmissible. So I think that's probably where it does arise, to a large extent, unvaccinated people, because they're a reservoir of the virus, the virus multiplying, and also to a large extent, people who are immunosuppressed or partially immunosuppressed because they're not clearing the virus where they do get infected. It's being uh, said that, speaking of immunosuppression, that one of the particular factors in South Africa has been the spread of HIV there. Do you credit that? Do you think that's part of the story? It may be part of the story. It would seem logical that it could be. But, you know, there are many causes of immunosuppression, not only people living with HIV who aren't on treatment. People who are on treatment who are well-controlled uh, that would not be a problem. They they are immunocompetent like like the rest of us would be. But uh, it, it may well be a, pr- a problem in those that are not well controlled, not on treatment, or not haven't started treatment yet. It may be a factor. The big question, of course, that everybody is wondering about, and 
we may not have the information yet, but do you have any thought about the efficacy of the existing vaccines against this variant? It is early days. There's a frenzy of activity, let me put it that way, doing what we call the neutralization antibody tests, testing for uh, how neutralizing antibodies behave against this particular variant. Uh, it's been done particularly in two laboratories in South Africa. Uh, and hopefully we'll get those that data fairly soon because it's obviously it's critical data. So at this stage, uh, we don't really know. I think we can be a little bit optimistic because we do know that the vaccine does behave well against the pre-existing variants. And those mutations are what happens, what, what is present in the previous variants. What is unknown is that this constellation of mutants, will that kind of enhance what we call vaccine escape? That we don't know yet, but we are optimistic. And I think we can be fairly comfortably optimistic that the vaccine will at least protect against severe disease. I think that's the bottom line. Broadly speaking, from what you've been saying, though you are, of course, thinking about what we should do, you seem to be saying we shouldn't be too alarmed at this stage. I think alarmed is too strong a word. I, I would say certainly concerned. We are concerned in this country with the expansion. We're going, we're heading into our fourth wave. So that 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 is a that's cause for concern. And I think we should motivate people to do two things. One of them is that we need to up our, in this country our vaccination coverage. We're not certainly not anywhere near what we should be. That's the one thing. We need to impress on people to get vaccinated. And secondly, we also need to impress on people that we still need to carry out those infection prevention measures. You know, the masking, the social distancing, etc. The virus is still around, it's still expanding. And even if one is vaccinated, there's no guarantee that you're not going to get infected and there's no guarantee you're not going to pass it on. So those are the two things, vaccination and also infection prevention measures. Are the infection prevention measures, masking and so on, working in South Africa? Yeah, sure. That's a difficult one to really answer. I, I think, you know, if we compare it to, enough, for example, the United Kingdom, a lot more people, yeah, are wearing masks, are trying to uh, avoid the social functions. You know, the problem is, of course, we're coming to the end of our year, our end of our academic year, our end of our school year. So, and uh, also it's coming to the Christmas holidays. So that's a problem because uh, there are parties and so on. And I think we're trying to kind of impress on people. I think this variant uh, is probably going to be a, a bit of a kind of a wake-up call. And also the expansion of infection is going to be a wake-up call. So I can just hope, yes, that there will be an improvement in infection uh, prevention adherence. People here are campaigning about the number of vaccines, they say maybe about a couple of hundred million doses, which are essentially sitting unused in rich countries. Do you think rich countries are doing enough to support countries like yours? Absolutely not. I think this is a major global ethical problem. The reason why we have these variants is because the world is not vaccinated. If there was a, an equitable distribution of that, particularly to the African continent, which is really being deprived of vaccines, I think this is a, really a blot uh, on the behaviour of, uh, of the wealthy countries. My thanks to the professor, my colleagues, Trevor, Ashish and Charlotte, and to you for listening to the Sky News Daily podcast hosted by me, Dermot Murnahan. This edition was produced by Annie Joyce. For the latest on the situation regarding COVID measures and the new variant, do head to Sky News, our mobile app and social channels. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find plenty more like it where you found this one, and we'd love a review while you're there. The driver told us to throw every luggage we brought with us in the sea. 21 extraordinary personal stories from some of this century's biggest news events. The Chilean mine rescue has to be one of the most amazing stories that I've ever covered. Storycast 21 from Sky News. Listen, follow, subscribe. Eyewitnesses said a wall of water appeared to simply rise out of the sea. There was no warning. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. TED Talks Daily, I'm Elise Hugh. The doctrine of do no harm governs the work of health professionals, but it should go further if you ask climate and health campaigner Shweta Narayan. In her talk at the Countdown Summit in 2021, she presses us to integrate doing no harm in ways to keep the health of the planet top priority. Hi, I'm Mona Chalabi, host of a new TED podcast called Am I Normal? Everyone wants to know if they're normal. Is my body normal? Are my feelings normal? Each week, we'll tackle a question by digging into the numbers, consulting experts, strangers, and even my mum to get the bigger picture. Get ready to ask yourself, does normal even exist? This season, cousin marriage. Is it weird for cousins to marry, or is that stigma unfounded? Check out Am I Normal wherever you listen. You wouldn't put your teen athlete on the same field as the pros, so why would you take them to the same doctor? Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is Georgia's only nationally ranked program for teen athletes. Visit today at choa.org slash teens. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One. Ready for a new ride but not sure where to start? Meet the tool that makes car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. You'll get your real rate and monthly payment without even impacting your credit score. It's so simple, you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. That's because you are. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Auto Navigator. I grew up in Bukaro Steel City in eastern India, an industrial township surrounded by power plants and steel smelters. One of my fondest memories as a child was to stare in the evenings at the beautiful orange skies and flaring chimneys of the steel plant. Little did I know at that time that these were all classic signs of severe air pollution. Cities like Bukaro were dubbed as the temples of modern India that propelled the country into the 21st century. I now work at the intersection of environment, health, and justice. 
I've been in this space for nearly two decades, and my experience tells that the negative impacts of industrialization have outweighed the good. I've also, in my work, come across several individuals and groups who, despite all odds, go beyond their call of duty to serve their communities. I find healthcare professionals working in polluted places as one such group who strive to do everything they can to protect their patients and communities from risk. For example, Meena, a health worker from Korba district in central India. Her job is to provide maternal care to pregnant women. However, Meena lives in a region that is surrounded by coal and power plants and is considered among the top five critically polluted places in India. So Meena also gives advice on how to protect the newborn children from the dangers of air pollution. Meena and thousands of other health workers in India and across the world apply a concept that has been with us since at least the 5th century BC, when Hippocrates, the Greek physician, also considered as the father of modern medicine, wrote about the role of physicians in his book of the epidemics. He said, and I quote, the physician must be able to tell the antecedents, know the present and foretell the future must mitigate these things with two special objects in view with regard to disease, namely to do good or to do no harm. The doctrine of do no harm forms the basis of the Hippocratic Oath, one of the oldest and most widely known codes of ethics. Now, the recitation of the Hippocratic Oath may be symbolic today, but most health professionals adhere to it daily as we have witnessed in the last two years of the COVID-19 crisis. I'm here to make a case for two things, placing health at the heart of climate solutions and placing the philosophy of first do no harm at the heart of all decisions beyond health, including those taken by our CEOs and politicians. Now, let me be clear about one fact. The climate crisis is a health crisis. It threatens our air, water, food, shelter, security, all the basics on which the human life depends. Burning of fossil fuels for electricity, heat, or transport is a major driver for climate change and a main contributor to air pollution. Globally, air pollution causes 7 million premature deaths each year. That's 13 deaths every minute way more than the death toll of COVID by the end of summer of 2021. And the poor and the marginalized are more severely impacted. Now, extreme climate events not only threaten people's health, but healthcare's own infrastructure and capacity to respond. The deadly floods of 2018 in Kerala, in India, the state that I live in, forced hospitals to evacuate patients, suspend surgeries and critical care. Others faced power outages. Many reported destruction of the entire stocks of vaccines and medical supplies. And similar experiences have been documented in other parts of the world. Now, there's also a paradox here, and with it, an opportunity arises. While the health sector plays a central role in responding to the climate crisis, the sector itself contributes to nearly 5% of the net global greenhouse gas emissions and growing. 
healthcare professionals understand the seriousness of their own climate footprint. In the last couple of years, we have seen an enormous momentum within the sector in charting a course towards transformative healthcare that starts with climate solutions. This momentum is guided by a zero emissions, climate resilience and health equity roadmap. For example, the state of Chhattisgarh in India has solarized over 900 community health centers and pledged to attain 100% solarization to provide energy access, thus anchoring the resilience of the community and protecting the most vulnerable. Last year, England's National Health Service began charting a course to zero emissions by 2045. This year, 40 institutions representing 3000 hospitals in 18 countries followed suit and worked with Healthcare Without Harm to decarbonize healthcare, its buildings, its operations and supply chains in a race to zero. Doctors for Clean Air and Climate Action is mobilizing thousands of doctors across India on the issue of air pollution and health to advocate for better policies. Time has come that we measure the advancement of our civilization through the metric of health rather than metric of wealth. But here also lies one of our biggest roadblocks. It is impossible to have healthy people on a sick planet. The blatant disregard for environment which is entrenched in our current economic and social models has pushed the natural world to its limits. Failure to ask basic questions like who is this business decision going to harm? or what is the impact of the current policy choice on the most marginalized or on the future generations has brought us to this crisis covid-19 is a clear example of our broken relationship with the nature it has also shown the deep interconnections between the health of the planet and human health we need to urgently mend our relationship with the planet and this is where the principle of first do no harm in decisions becomes critical now let me clarify one point here because i do not want any ambiguity when i say do no harm i do not mean that we should not explore the bold and courageous solutions we desperately need to be innovative in the face of crisis but there is a lot of bad wrongful harmful and unjust behavior that happens knowingly and that needs to stop <laughs> the overarching theme of the hippocratic oath is the idea that the individual who's reciting the pledge is making a personal dedication to ethical and committed care and putting their patients first in kurba Mina embodies this philosophy. She is doing her bit in protecting her community, however, that is not enough. The scale of challenges that we face today demands that all of us, individually and collectively, independently of our position, power, agency or resources, adopt a similar dedication and commitment. And as a first step, we must all include the principle of doing no harm in all decisions big and small for all present and future actions and put the health of our planet and ours first thank you
Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.